I'm Liam, and you're listening to Let's Nurture, the podcast. A digital wallet, sometimes called an e-wallet, is a natural extension of the physical wallet. All the more so now that so many transactions are done without cash. Let's start by taking a walk through the history of cashless payments. You see, your credit or debit card doesn't actually contain paper dollars. Transactions made with them are fundamentally exchanges of data. Some of our younger listeners may have wondered why the numbers and some other important information on their bank cards or credit cards are raised. It's an artifact of the old days of the analog world, when stores would use carbon paper and a terrifying machine to take a physical impression of the card so that they could process the transaction with the bank later by hand. Imagine a crayon tombstone rubbing, except faster and not quite so morbid. This was called a credit card imprinter, or colloquially, the knuckle buster. There were, you see, fast-moving parts very near to your hand as you used the machine. Luckily, you rarely see them these days, now that computers become so ubiquitous and cheap. While it's being phased out now, for a long time, credit transactions were processed using a magnetic strip on the back of your card. This magnetic strip is essentially a tiny piece of cassette tape. Actually, you know what? Let's talk about magnets. The problem with them is that a thing can only really be magnetized in one direction at a time. A magnet oriented north cannot also be oriented south. The thing we look for with magnetic storage is the orientation changing, and we need to have lots of changes of direction on our tape if we're going to be putting lots of information on it. We need just about one change, or at least the ability to change, per bit, and a bit is one unit of information, in the context of computers, either a one or a zero. We can magnetize things just fine. Being in the presence of a magnetic field lines up all the tiny atoms in a substance, and aligned atoms create big, noticeable magnetic fields. If you magnetize one piece of a wire, though, for example, you need to go down a ways before you can magnetize the next chunk in the opposite direction. And again, that's how we're communicating the information here, with alternating magnetic fields. This wire solution I described, though, was a very real thing. The wire recorder. They sound terrible, and had to be run very quickly, but are worth looking up if you find yourself interested. The breakthrough here was to use lots of tiny pieces of a substance you could magnetize on basically scotch tape. Every little tiny piece, a grain of powder, can be individually magnetized just fine. And since we can make the pieces really small, we can encode lots of changes of direction in relatively small areas. Then, when you pass a sensor over it and move it, you get a usable stream of information off your piece of rusty tape. Literally rust, by the way. How cool is that? All right, so back to credit cards and the magnetic strips they tend to use. The stripe that's on your card is actually three stripes packed together. The third one, though, usually isn't used. It's there in case it's needed. 
All in all, they contain information including your name, the account number, the country, and expiry date. All the information that the business you're giving the information to might need to verify your transaction with the bank. Here's the problem with that. If you make it so that swiping a credit card means you display to the computer all the information it needs to make a charge, how do you stop people from just remembering it or intercepting your data? This is where credit card skimmers come into play. They literally intercept and store your credentials and then pass them back to the device you intended to use. You probably would never even know that it happened. This is a side effect of a classic problem in security. Passwords, which is basically what your credit card information is, do not do a very good job of differentiating between trusted and untrusted sources. And it's very difficult to build strong encryption, that is to say, security against people seeing what your data is, in a system that's built to be all about displaying that data. This is where we get into the newer, chip-based technology. What makes the credit chips interesting? Well, every time you make a purchase, the chip generates a unique key that can only be used for that one transaction. So even if a scammer was running the point-of-sale machine, those things at the shop you plug your card into, and got the code, they would be left unable to do anything with it, as the code was one use only. The chip used details from the transaction as well as a secret process. The secret process will generate a unique code that's easy for the bank to verify, but very difficult for any scammer to reverse engineer. This was a huge step forward. It made skimming no longer a viable theft strategy. If you're ever plugging your card into a gas pump or strange ATM, by the way, make sure the shroud, the piece you physically put your card into, doesn't wiggle or seem poorly attached. It might have been put there by someone looking to copy the data of all the cards passed through it, which may be a problem, as the magnetic stripe on a chip card is just as vulnerable as it always was. Credit card skimmers are in fact almost insultingly simple to create and use. They can be found on Amazon, shipped to your house, and I assure you, a bad actor is clever enough to navigate this technology. I tell you this to stress that your sense of security using a magnetic strip card may very well be undeserved. There's one other technology I'd like to discuss. It came to us from Samsung. Since the reader of a magnetic strip is really only listening to changing magnetic fields, is there any reason you need to actually use the strip? Well, no, not at all. Using a small electromagnet, it's entirely possible to blast a changing magnetic field at the sensor. It will detect and read the credit data just as well. This is thanks to something called magnetic secure transmission, which, luckily for me, quite neatly explains itself to the reader. If you're really clever, you can in fact use the same technology to access a hotel room, though it requires somewhat more setup, as you need to first determine the correct pattern and then broadcast it. This brings us neatly to the present day and the advent of the e-wallet. The e-wallet bypasses the need for a plastic card altogether, chip or no, representing a fully software-based way to get and interact with your accounts. An e-wallet is at its most fundamental an intermediary between the consumer and the provider. 
This has a lot of benefits. Software encryption is incredibly strong. Look forward to an episode on encryption, by the way. And this means that your funds and transactions can be much safer than would be possible even using a chip-based card, let alone cash. This has some drawbacks, though. As the consumer, you need to trust the wallet provider with access to your bank account. Not only that, continuing access. Second, while thanks to Apple Pay and Samsung Pay, e-wallets have become increasingly accepted in the physical world, it still isn't by any stretch of the imagination as widely accepted as credit or cash. That having been said, the ubiquity of the smartphone has made consumer-side access easier than ever. I haven't been in a different room than my phone in a decade. This is distinctly not true of my physical wallet, which I routinely leave in yesterday's pants. Let me talk to you briefly about some of the features you can expect to see in an e-wallet, which we have developed in the past, and you may want to include them in your own project. First of all, and most importantly, we have the basics of money transfer and integration with point-of-sale systems. But we can get more complicated behaviors, too. You can split bills with friends using an e-wallet, or use built-in budgeting tools. They could also be integrated into wearable devices, and the cloud, making availability even less an issue than it might have been before. In the end, if you have an e-wallet project or idea, you should give us a call. With plenty of experience and thousands of projects completed, we're here to help. Until next time, remember to pay attention the next time you see a way to do something better. I've been Liam, and this has been Let's Nurture, the podcast. Let's Nurture.